welcome to the Mint Podcast, where we dive deep into God's Word and discuss practical ways to live it out. This season, we're doing real talk about how we can contend for breakthrough in the most difficult and painful parts of our story. I can't wait to see what God, the commander of heaven's armies, is going to do as we press into him. If you want more of what you hear on the show, there are additional free resources, merchandise, and donation opportunities available at amintageisler.com. We're a listener-funded podcast, and we appreciate your support so much. Let's go run the race. Well, welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here, and I'm excited to spend the next few minutes with you diving deep into God's Word and then talking about practical ways that we can live it out. And we are starting a brand new series on today's episode called Under His Wings. And that is the name that I have given my study on the book of Ruth. And so for the next four episodes, we are going to look at Ruth, her character, her story before the Lord, and we are going to see how we can emulate Ruth, how we can take what God did in and through her and apply it to our lives that we might battle better in the situations that we are facing. We just got done with Joshua and now we are going to talk about Ruth. And honestly, the more I study Ruth, the more she is just one of my heroes of the faith. And so I am thrilled to bring this series to you. Now, with this series, I have a Bible study that I've created that's four weeks long. And if you are interested in diving deeper or doing more or getting this information to share it, you can always email me and the information's in the show notes from the podcast. And uh, we can talk about what we can do to get a Bible study into your hands. And so let's pray and dive in. God, I just thank you so much for who you are. You are the great Redeemer. Lord, I thank you that there's no story that you cannot redeem, that there's no situation you can't fix. And that, Lord, even when we don't know what to do, we can posture ourselves before you and trust that you will make a way. God, in the next few minutes, as we look at Ruth, will you give us eyes that can see you, ears that can hear you, and hearts that are courageous enough to follow you? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I'm going to start with a question how many of you listening today are planners? You like to have a plan. It, when, as we're recording this, it's January. I just bought a brand new planner. I have started to fill it out. Raise your hand if you are a planner. You are my people. Those of you who did not raise your hand and you just like to live life by the seat of your pants, I have so much respect and awe for you. I have no idea how you do that. It's terrifying to me. I like a good plan. Uh, my husband makes fun of me because one time... Uh, he had said to me, I don't think you can be spontaneous. And I was like, oh, yes, I can. And he goes, no, you can't. I said, yes, I can. If you tell me that I need to be spontaneous on Saturday and I can plan for it and get everything done, then Saturday I will be spontaneous with you. And he's like, no, it doesn't work that way. I'm like, yes, it does. I just, it does. But he likes to tease me that I can't be spontaneous. And um, no matter how you feel about that, I'm right. It's fine. But anyway, I like to have a good plan, but here's the thing. How many of you have experienced this? Life rarely ever goes according to plan. You know, we can, the uh, the Proverbs say that we can make our plans, but the Lord orders our steps. That is so true. So often life doesn't go according to plan. And here's the problem with that is that you have a plan, you have a direction you're going, but then it all falls apart or the plan changes and you don't know what to do and you don't know what step to take and you kind of feel stuck. 
It's like, well, where do I go from here? And, and you don't know what to do. This happened to me last year. And I know I talked about it on my show, but I was getting ready. I had a huge speaking engagement coming up. And so I had my Friday and my Saturday all planned out. The speaking engagement was on Sunday. And I was going to use every minute, every second of that time was planned out in order to get ready. In Friday morning, about 10 a.m., I get a phone call from my school. And they said, your son Truett is having a grand seizure. And he is going to be rushed by ambulance to Children's Hospital. And that is when the plan just went away. And I got in my car and I drove as fast as I safely could down to the hospital. And I got to uh, hear Truett's first word. He was like nonverbal for about 45 minutes after the seizure ended. And I walked in the room and he said, mom, and it was the most beautiful thing I ever heard. And I crawled into his hospital bed and he was so out of sorts for about two days. It just slept a lot while his body reset. And I just sat with him and everything about my plan fell apart and I did not even care because my little boy was okay. But that's what happens is that we have a plan, we're going along and then you have an and then moment, right? Everything was going good and then, and then the plan changes. And so often we don't know what to do. And for years, I now have had the honor of doing ministry and being able to meet with women and high school students. And I've gotten to be a part of their story where they share with me their and then moments and and their times of crisis where we meet and I can pray and encourage, but they're all walking through. And inevitably, I hear the same phrase, Minta, I don't know what to do. Whether it's their spouse has an addiction or their marriage just ended, or they have a child who's not walking with the Lord or has chosen to live a lifestyle that's contrary to the way that they were brought up, or they lost a loved one or their job fell apart and now they can't pay their bills. And this is what I always hear. I don't know what to do. And it just broke my heart because I would say, well, I'm going to pray for you. You can do it. But I long to have something more tangible to give them. I prayed for God to give me words and wisdom. And then last spring, I was studying the book of Ruth and I was doing a deep dive. And it was like the Lord revealed to me a strategy for how to walk redemption out of any story when the plan falls apart. See, this is not a plan. With a plan, you know exactly what you want to do and where you're going. But a strategy is more of a posture. How do you position yourselves in front of God, mind, heart, and body, so that he can redeem your story? See, when the plan falls apart, we we have to uh, uh, admit that we're not in control. And we surrender to God, but we can posture ourselves before him in our mind, in our heart, and in our body so that he can work out the redemption. So in our mind... You just, you get this mindset of tucking into the wings and of being held. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of tucking into God's wings, there's a lot of verses about that. Psalm 91, we're going to read it. I think that the wings of God are probably big and white and fluffy, but strong. And they hold you and they're tender and they're soft, but you feel so protected. I'm going to read Psalm 91. It's one of the times we hear that. And it's this. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. For he will rescue you from every trap and protect you from deadly disease. He will cover you with his feathers. He will shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. Isn't that beautiful? So the first 
mindset, the first posture before God in our mind is to picture ourselves tucked into the wings of God. Because so often when we hit crisis, right, what do we do? We panic, we freak out, and we feel alone. And we're like, where is God? So the first thing we do is we posture ourselves that we are going to tuck under the wings of God. We are going to trust him. He is our protection. Next, the work in our heart. We need to make sure that we're surrendered to him, that we are living in a way that is pleasing to him. And so we're going to look at three characteristics over the next few weeks of Ruth's life where she was loyal. She was loyal to the Lord and the people around her. She was humble. She did not have an attitude. She wasn't prideful. She didn't have her own agenda, but she was humble before the Lord. And finally, she was fearless. So often when the plan falls apart, we let fear overwhelm us and take us out. But not Ruth. She was courageous in the face of overwhelming odds. And so that's the mind is tucking into the wings. The heart is making sure that we are loyal, humble, and fearless before the Lord. And then finally, with our body, it's taking the next right step in faith that God puts in front of us. See, we don't have to have it all figured out. That's the thing about the plan is you you like have an end goal and then you take steps to get to that goal. And then when the end goes away, we, we don't know what step to take. But with a strategy, you are fully reliant on God. You're walking in daily dependence on him and he gives you the next right step, even though you might be able to see the end goal or you might not know where this is going. You have to have the courage to step out in faith and take that next right step. So mind, heart, and body. And every week of this show, we're going to see how Ruth demonstrates tucking under the wings. And we're going to look at how God uses that to redeem her story because he is the great redeemer. And there's nothing in your life he can't redeem. So today, what I want to do is actually set up the context to the story. This happened so long ago. And it's easy to read the first few verses of the book of Ruth and go, oh, that's nice. And then we just move on, but we don't, we miss what's going on. And so first I just want to talk about the book of Ruth in general. It was written during uh, the time of Israel's history that of the book of Judges, when they had judges that were in charge of them here on earth. God just wanted to be in charge. The people had begged for the king, a king. And so he gave them judges as kind of the compromise of that. And during the time of the judges, we see this cycle happening over and over with the people of Israel. And as you watch the cycle, you're going to see that it still happens today. But here's what it is, right? So God has his special people, the Israelites, and he puts his covering, his wings over them. They live under his covering. And while they're there, he blesses them. He protects them. He guides them. He leads them. Things go well for them. And so they live that way. And then in their prosperity, they start to forget that they're fully relying on God and they start to fall prey to sin and to the idols of the cultures around them. And now God sees this, but he is patient. And so he allows it to continue to give them time to repent, but it turns into sin. And inevitably, they start to worship idols. They live in disobedience to his word. And God allows that to go on for a time. But he is a God of justice and mercy. And there are consequences for the sin. So as they step out from underneath the covering of God, he allows them to be attacked. He allows them to face the consequences. And it kind of comes in three different forms in the Old Testament. When they are out from underneath the covering of God, they either face famine where there's no food or a plague where they're all killed out by sickness or they're conquered by a surrounding nation. 
And so what happens is they come to the brink of utter ruin where they're about to be annihilated forever. But because God is the God of mercy, he steps in and he forgives them and he redeems them. And as they become faithful to him again, he restores them. And then they're under his covering where he blesses and protects them and he prospers them. And then in their prosperity, they forget that they need him and they begin to fall prey to the things of this world and the idols. And the cycle goes around and around. And so this redemption cycle is playing out in the book of Ruth. So I'm going to read, starting in Ruth 1, just the first about five verses. And now you're going to see this and you're going to be amazed what you learn by just reading in these little chapters. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. Pause. What does that tell us? That tells us that Israel is living in disobedience to the Lord. They have stepped out from underneath his covering. They have fallen prey to the things of the world. And so because of that, the Lord has left them to the consequences of their actions. He is a just God. We cannot go on sinning and not expect that there are going to be consequences for stepping out underneath the covering of the Lord. So there's a great famine in the land. So we know Israel's living in disobedience. This is not a great moment in their history. So we're starting out in not a great place. A man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. Pause. Why is this a big deal? Well, God had specifically told the people of Judah, do not go to where the Moabites are. Do not intermarry. Do not live with them. Do not take on their cultures. See, the Moabites were known for being the worst of the worst. They were known for their child sacrifice. They were known for worshiping idols. They were known for all of these horrible things. They were so sinful, the Lord had forbidden his people from going there. So now, in addition to the people of Israel being out from underneath the covering, living in disobedience because they're facing the consequence of this famine, now they're taking matters into their own hands and there's more disobedience because they're going to a place they're forbidden to go. This is going from bad to worse. And it's easy to look at them and say, what were they thinking? But do we not do this? Do we not take matters into our own hands and sometimes make it worse? Do we not, in our short-sightedness, try to solve things in our own way and unknowingly disobey the Lord even further. But we just panic and we think, I got to fix this. I got to do something. I can't stay here. I got to go to where there's food, no matter the cost. I got to go to where my need's going to be met, no matter the cost. I got to go to where I feel better, no matter the cost. And we do this. So they're in their disobedience. I'm going to start, um, start up again in verse 2. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife was Naomi. And their two sons were Milan and Kilion. They were Epaphrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women, which was forbidden. And one married a woman named Orpah and the other married a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Milan and Kilion died. And this left Naomi alone without her sons or her husband. Now, I just want to pause here because this is like tragedy upon tragedy upon disobedience upon disobedience. This story starts out at rock bottom. So maybe you're listening today and you're at rock bottom or you know somebody who is and you just think there's absolutely no hope. There's no way God can redeem this story. But see, God is giving us a story to look at 
at this very same thing. There's literally no hope here. See, out of their disobedience, they move to the land of Moab. They intermarry. They're barren. There's no record of children, which in those days was such a thing of shame. It meant you were an outcast. And then her husband dies. And 10 years later, the sons die. Now, in today's day and age, we have widows, but women have so many more rights and they have social status and they can get jobs. In those days, women had nothing. The men were their provision. The men were their security. The men were their social status. If you were a widow, that was basically a poverty sentence and you were going to be an outcast. So now not only is she far away from home in a foreign land where she's not supposed to be, she no longer has anyone to take care of her or provide for her needs, even her sons, because that's how it went. In those days, you had a family redeemer, which means if your husband died, your his brother would take over and take care of you, or your sons would take over and take care of you, or the brother's brother then. But she's away from home. There literally now is no one to take care of her. All she's got is her two daughters-in-law. And so we, this is this is rock bottom. This is really a story where it's like, how how is this going to be fixed exactly? It's hopeless, but it's intended to show us that there's no place we can't go. No bottom out moment that God can't reach us there. I'm going to pick up again in verse 6. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again, which tells us what? The Lord has shown mercy and he's restored the people because they have repented underneath his covering, right? So the he's now favoring his people again. They are under his wings. They're under his covering. And Naomi hears about it. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law get ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. And with her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she'd been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back to your mother's homes and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. And may the Lord bless you with security in another marriage. And she kissed them goodbye and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. And then Naomi replied, but why should you go with me? Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes for I am too old to marry again. And even if that were possible, when I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. So what Naomi is talking about here is she heads back. She realizes this is kind of a poverty sentence for her two daughters-in-law. They're going to go back to Judah where these two Moabite women are going to be outcasts. They're forbidden. And if they were to go home, stay in Moab, go back to their families, they would have a chance to marry. They would have a chance to have children because who knows why they were barren. Maybe it was the son's fault. Maybe it was theirs. But this is, back in those days, this is what every woman's dream was, was to get married and to have children and carry on the family name. And so if the daughters-in-law decide to come with her, not only are they giving up any hope for the future, they're going to a place where they're going to be outcasts and it's literally forbidden to marry them. So it's it's literally the death of any dream that they would have. Any hope of being a, a woman with any type of security or social status. And again, they wept together. I'm picking up again in verse 14. And Orpah, I always want to say Oprah, but it is not Oprah. It is Orpah. So don't get confused. This is not Oprah's story of how she got started and became an empire. Verse 14. And again, they wept together and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye and she went back home. 
she chose to go back to the Moabite people and to live there and have another chance at achieving her dream. But Ruth, and this is where we start to see Ruth stand out. And this is why you're going to start to see why we are going to posture ourselves like Ruth. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I'll be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Now, this, I think, is such an incredible story, a point in the story, because Ruth tucks herself under the wings of God. Now, her other sister-in-law, the Moabite woman, says, I'm going back to my people, and she takes off. But Ruth says, no, your people are my people. Your God is my God. So somewhere along the line, Ruth has decided the God of the Israelites is her God, and she's not letting go. And even though it means becoming an outsider, even though it means she's going to go somewhere where she is a forbidden woman, she says, your God is going to be my God. I'm coming with you. Only death will separate us. And she shows fierce loyalty to both God and to her mother-in-law. Friends, sometimes, and we're going to talk about this posture for a minute, as her mind is tucked under the wings, but now her, her, by her heart posture is this loyalty. See, I don't know about you, but sometimes when stuff hits the fan, my first inclination is to take care of myself. Oh, I got to make sure I'm okay. Oh, I got to make sure I take care of me. And isn't that what culture tells us to do? You get what you deserve. You do what you want to do. You define your truth. You take care of yourself. But this is so countercultural and so biblical. But what Ruth says is, I'm going to lay aside what I want. I'm going to lay aside my needs, my preferences, and I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to remain loyal to my God and to you, even though it would be easier to go back, even though it would probably be better for me to go back, even though I'm giving up my dreams, I am going to come with you. And this is what loyalty looks like. And friends, so often when we are at rock bottom or when we're going through and the plan falls apart, we just look out for ourselves and what can we do to fix it and make it easy and make it better for ourselves. And how we can emulate Ruth in this area is to say, I'm going to trust God. Your God is my God. And we tuck under and we know we say, God can provide all that I need. God is my source. God has got this. And we tuck under his wings. And then we say, and I'm going to be loyal to you, God. And I'm going to be loyal to the people in my story. Because so often when we're hurting, we take care of us and we don't think about the people around us. And that might mean that you get out of bed and you just make a meal for your family. It might mean that you get out of bed and you text somebody else to see how they're doing today. It might mean that even though you would rather get a different job, you stay in the job that's best for your family. It might mean that even if you are struggling with your spouse, you get out of bed and you still serve them and you still do their laundry or you, whatever your roles are, that you still do them. 
because you're loyal to who God has placed in your family and to the people in your story. And you're loyal to the Lord and what he's asked of you. And he asks us to serve others. He asks us to be the feet washers. He asks us to be the ones that are willing to do what nobody else is willing to do. Die to self, take up the cross and follow. That's at the heart of being loyal. It is not about you. It's about God. And it's so countercultural, isn't it? It's so countercultural, but this is what she does. And it's, it's an amazing posture that she takes. So let's see what happens. I'm picking up in verse 19. So the two of them continue on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is this really Naomi? The women asked. And I just want to pause here. The goodness is already starting, right? Naomi's at rock bottom. She's already said, the Lord has raised his fist against me. She's bottomed out, right? She's She's like, God doesn't care about me. Have you ever been there? God, do you even see me? Do you even hear me? Like she's already said, the Lord has turned himself against me. But you can already, if you look closely enough with eyes that see, you can see the stories turning around because she has a daughter-in-law who's committed to taking care of her. And now the women in the town are excited to see her. I mean, that in itself is a good thing. I mean, they left. They got the heck out of Dodge. When it was hard, they ran. They went and lived in Moab. The people of the town could have condemned her. They could have kept her on the outside. They could have said, oh, you made your bed. Go lay in it. But they were excited to welcome her back. See, there's hope springing up in this story already because she's coming back under the covering, right? Heading home to Judah is coming back under the covering of the Lord. It's saying, I'm not going to live in Moab and do it my own way. I'm going to come back under your covering, God, and I'm going to come do it your way. So she's coming back under the covering. That's the next step that we see. And this is a big next step, isn't it? They leave Moab and come back to Judah. This is a huge next step, especially for Ruth. But it was the next right step that God had for them. So the women in the town are excited for their arrival. And in verse 20, she says, don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent tragedy upon me? Oh, the depth of the pity party on this one. But don't we get there sometimes? Oh, the Lord has turned his hand against me. Oh, God hates me. Oh, why doesn't he fix it? She's caught in her pity party. Meanwhile, Ruth is tucked under the wings and like, I'm going with you. Let's go. We got this. And Naomi's falling apart. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the young Moabite woman. And they arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. And I just think this is such a beautiful portrayal of what it can look like, why we need each other. Because sometimes when we're going through tragedy, we are the Naomi. And we are so lost in our hopelessness that we can't even see hope when it springs out. And we are so depressed that we can't see the good going on around us and we lose hope. And we need a Ruth in our life to come alongside us and tuck us under the wings and say, we're going to do this. And sometimes when we're going through the tragedy, we're the Ruth. And we are the ones that believe and tuck under. And we need to take a Naomi with us. So no matter which role you seat yourself into today, this is why we are better together. This is why we need each other. Because sometimes we are the Naomi. And now the rest for the rest of the series, we're going to more focus on Ruth and just her impact here and how we can continue to posture ourselves under the wings, in our mind, 
and how we can be loyal in our heart and then take that next right step. Friends, no matter what God has for you, this is what you can do. So next time we're going to read chapter two and we're going to talk about what it looks like to posture ourselves like Ruth and be humble. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for how you love us. Will you send your spirit to be with us today? Will you help us to be like Ruth? Father, help us to tuck ourselves under your wings and help us to live with a mindset of loyalty to you and the people around us, no matter what's going on in our story. And Lord, we just lay it all at your feet and we ask you to be the redeemer and do what only you can do. In your name we pray. Give us the courage to take the next right step. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mint Podcast. More resources are available at amintageisler.com. Let's do this faith journey together.